Hi, everyone, and welcome to Murder and Merlot. We are a true crime book club podcast. I'm your host, Tara. And I'm your host, Michelle. How's it going, Michelle? It's going great. Yeah? Do you have a good weekend? I did. I'm in Edmonton because, like I said last week, Bestie got married yesterday, and it was the most beautiful, funnest, best ceremony ever. Yay. It was so great, and I was so happy to be a part of it, and... Now I'm like hanging out in my old bedroom because I'm in Edmonton for a week. So a little strange. <laughs> it's, it's a little different. It's a little less edgy than it was when I was in high school. So. <laughs> I would love to see what your high school bedroom looked like. That would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't even think there's pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Darn. Because I was in high school before everybody had cell phones and pictures and stuff. So because I'm yeah. old. Fair enough. <laughs> What about you? How was your weekend? Oh, it was great. Went bridesmaids dress shopping, so it's very fun. Excellent. We drank after the dress appointment, not before, so that was very good. Beautiful. <laughs> and did you guys find dresses? We did. We we all got our dresses off the rack. We we're just like twenty minutes in and out, like boom, boom. Let's get this stuff. <laughs> I love we'll it. Grab whatever fits and looks good, and we're we're golden. So yeah, it's perfect. Excellent. Yeah. And last week was pretty exciting. Last week was amazing. So we sent um, donut money to Dark Poutine, one of our favorite we, podcasts ever. We got the nicest shout out from yeah. Mike and Scott from Dark Poutine. And it made our entire month, I think. Yeah, Michelle was freaking out, texting me. And I'm like, ah, I can't listen right now. I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm so excited. <laughs> I, was, I was oh scream God. crying, scream crying. <laughs> yep. And actually funny, I was listening to it while I was in the Tim Hortons drive-thru. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is just perfect. But I think I have to pause it because I don't want to start crying at the window. <laughs> <laughs> I don't make the people very concerned. <laughs> yeah, so they're like, are you okay? You're just like, yeah. I just want a double-double. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was oh, so fantastic. So thank you so much, Mike and Scott. We love you. We adore you and... Seriously, so I think we were both having like really shitty days and then it turned into like the best day ever. So That's exactly what was happening. I was just, yeah, having a shit day. And then all of a sudden it was like, this is great. This is the best. I don't care. I don't yeah. even care anymore. Yeah. yeah, it was fantastic. So really. My daughter that. literally bit my son in the ass. <laughs> like, <laughs> And I was like, today sucks. And then we got that. And I was like, I don't even care anymore. <laughs> like. Nothing else matters. <laughs> Nothing else matters. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And uh, last week's episode was great. We did the Hinterkaifeck murders. Yes. So if you haven't checked that out yet, go on and do so because it's always a great story to dive into. Yes. And uh, we would have loved to uh, shout out some favorite responses from our fluff and stuff question. Yeah. But... but Something happened, guys. I don't know what. I don't know what happened. We didn't get any. <laughs> <laughs> the hell. And I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Okay, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Father's Day. <laughs> did that bring back some memories? Because it did oh, for yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, it takes me right back. <laughs> but for real, guys. Do better. <laughs> Do better. Answer our questions. Hopefully we love your responses. We love hearing from you guys. So just respond to our questions. It only takes a minute. Like, come on. Yeah. 
what were you going to do for the summer? You could still answer. We'll, if yeah. we get responses, we'll, we'll talk about them next week, I guess. Yeah. Maybe. If we have some fantastic answers. Yeah, you better do a good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, that we've shamed all of our listeners. <laughs> for shame. 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 <laughs> Uh, I hope you feel bad now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think I'm ready to jump into this week's episode. Are you? I am. All right, friends. Grab your glass and get cozy. Let's talk about mythological creatures and, of course, murder. Ding, ding. (laughs) You see what I'm drinking today? Tara is actually drinking red wine. Merlot, to be specific. Wow. I know. Fancy. On I'm point. I'm proud of you. Thank you. What are you drinking? Well, I was last minute scrambling, rooting through my dad's liquor cabinet, and there was a bottle of red wine there, but I was like, I'm already late, so Ryan Coke it is. Always yeah. a good alternative. Mm-hmm. It's usually my go-to anyways, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And it was my drink when I lived in Edmonton. Like, Same here. So it's like... It's a little bit of a throwback. Very suiting. Yes. Yeah. So I decided a few weeks ago that for my next mini episode, I wanted to cover something that was local to Alberta. And it just so happened that this lined up perfectly with our excitement about dark poutine, which is, of course, a Canadian true crime and dark history podcast. It also so happens that they covered this case as well, and they did a fantastic job, as always. Mm Mm-hmm. And actually, this is our first Canadian case at all, isn't it? I think so. I think it is. So yeah, I'm just going right to local Alberta. Yeah. I wanted to do something a little bit spooky, and I was trying to find a good ghost story or a haunted building, but instead I just kept getting drawn back to something that is even more terrifying, in my opinion. So Michelle, have you ever heard of a Wendigo? I have. Yes? Because of dark poutine. Very good. That's what I figured. Yes. yes. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure. But it's been a while since I've listened to that episode, so it's not very fresh in my head. I at think all. it was one of their more early episodes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The first time that I had ever heard of a Wendigo is while listening to a podcast called Lore. And that was many years ago. Obviously, this podcast explains the history behind common folklore. And while listening, I always thought, like, man, are they ever going to cover anything from Alberta or even like Canada? It must not be very exciting. Mm-hmm. Then it happened. It was episode 18 called Hunger Pains. And let me tell you, I got more than I bargained for. <laughs> <laughs> because apparently the lore we are known for here in Alberta is one of a mythical creature or evil spirit that possesses humans and turns them into ravenous cannibalistic monsters. Yeah, we're back to cannibalism. Again, hey. <laughs> Which is a topic that I wanted to avoid for quite a while, but here we are. I, yeah, I guess strap in, folks. <laughs> I seriously, so many times I'm like, nope, can't do that again. Gotta, gotta give it some more time. But I just I was really drawn to this for some reason this week. So here we are. So what is a Wendigo? According to the CanadianEncyclopedia.com, A Wendigo is a supernatural being belonging to the spiritual traditions of Algonquin-speaking First Nations in North America. Wendigos are described as powerful monsters that have a desire to kill and eat their victims. 
in most legends, humans transform into Wendigos because of their greed or weakness. Various indigenous traditions consider Wendigos dangerous because of their thirst for blood and their ability to infect otherwise healthy people or communities with evil. Wendigo legends are essentially cautionary tales about isolation and selfishness and the importance of community. Very fitting, considering we've all been isolated for a while. That's very true. Yes. Mm. So you're saying a Wendigo is going to come possess us. Great. <laughs> well, you know what? 2020, bring it. Wow. I'm ready. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't even be surprised. At this point, yeah. I guess now we know what's in store for July. Yeah, <laughs> Fucking Wendigos. So the website goes on to explain that according to most Algonquin traditions, a human can be possessed by a Wendigo, which, like I said before, then turns them into a cannibalistic monster. Those most susceptible to the possession are generally socially disconnected, greedy, or weakened individuals affected by extreme conditions, including cold and hunger. So it really makes sense that this legend lives on in North America, where winters are painfully long and cold and make resources like food, water, and shelter hard to come by. Okay, I'm just throwing this out here. If it snows in July, it is not our fault. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Honestly, it happens every summer. We have to have a random blizzard in just in the middle of summer. So, but okay, if it snows in July, I'm afraid of Wendigos now. So, yeah, okay, not our fault. Not our fault. (laughs) I wish I had some advice on how to avoid Wendigos, but there there really isn't any. No, (laughs) so just uh, you just got to go with it. Yep. I also want to note that I may use the names Wendigo and Wendigo interchangeably throughout this, as the spelling pronunciation often differ between sources and between different Algonquin languages. Other common names are Wittigo, Wittica, Windicauk, and Wittigo, and many, many more that I cannot pronounce and I don't want to sound ignorant by trying to do so. Fair enough. But just like the name, the appearance of Wendigos aren't consistent either. But regardless, the descriptions are always terrifying. Oftentimes, depictions of Wendigos show an extremely emaciated being with ashy gray flesh pulled tightly over its skeleton. Its eyes are deeply sunken into its skull. Its lips are tattered and bloody. Teeth are sharp and pointy, and it gives off an odor of decay. Other legends describe the being as a well-fleshed giant who gets proportionately larger the more it eats. Sometimes they will have animal attributes as well, such as antlers or horns. Lovely. Either or, I don't want to run into that out in the woods. Nope. Just nope, saying. Never. Mm-mm. No. Now I'm going to be thinking about this all the time. Yeah. Great. This is your fault. I know. <laughs> it's my own fault. Ugh. Great. A new fear because I don't have enough of those. <laughs> Pretty sure every, every podcast I'm like, that is my biggest fear. And it's something different like every week, but <laughs> apparently I just have a lot of fears. They're all related to living in isolation, like where you are. <laughs> That's true. I love living in like where we are and I would actually like to be even more isolated, but then there are things like that that just terrify me. <laughs> <laughs> and because that's all not scary enough, they also, of course, tend to have superhuman powers. This includes incredible speed, strength, and stamina that allows them to stalk, overpower, and devour its prey. They also have heightened senses like exceptional eyesight, hearing, and sense of smell. So basically, they are designed to be the most powerful and efficient hunters. 
Some legends say that Wendigos can be killed by a weapon such as a gun or a club, but others believe that only a First Nation spiritual leader, a shaman, has the ability to defeat this monster. For the most part, I saw, yeah, you're not going to win this one. So, yeah. But, I, I mean, always put up a fight. Don't give in. <laughs> you got to give it an honest try at least. Yeah. <laughs> Something I found extremely interesting was that the term Wendigo actually made its way into Western medical vocabulary in the early 20th century. Wendigo psychosis was used by early psychiatrists to refer to a mental condition in which the patients felt possessed by a cannibalistic desire. The term is still highly disputed in the medical community today. Weird. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So you may be wondering, where's the murder? Just you wait. Although the Wendigo may be a legend, it has resulted in some very real murders. One that is often mentioned in Wendigo stories is that of Jack Fiddler, who was a self-proclaimed Wendigo hunter. Jack Fiddler was a shaman of the Sucker people at Sandy Lake in northwest Ontario. In short, he euthanized 14 Wendigos in his lifetime, as he had the ability to confront and defeat the evil spirit. What that means is those that were sick and feverish were brought to the shaman, the victim would be held down, and he would place a string around their neck and strangle them. They believed if this was not done, the victim would have become a wendigo. So from what I gather, it sounds like he was killing those that would be susceptible to being possessed by a wendigo, but not actually the wendigo itself. So it's a little bit different in my opinion. So he was legit just a serial killer who had a cool name. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> he was like, I want to get rid of these people, yep. so they're going to turn into Wendigos. Right? Jack Fiddler, Jack the Ripper, it's, yeah, it's got like a serial killer ring to it, it's I guess. Very serial killer vibey. I mean, his actual name, the indigenous name, I, there's, I'm sorry, there's 30 letters in that name, and I'm like... wow. Sorry, but he's often, <laughs> often known as Jack Fiddler, so I don't feel bad about <laughs> using that okay. name. <laughs> when the RCMP found out about um, his behavior <laughs> in 1907, Jack Fiddler and his brother John were arrested. After 15 weeks of being in custody, Jack escaped and hung himself in the nearby woods. His brother John was found guilty and was incarcerated. However, his appeals were successful and he was set to be released in 1909. However, three days prior to his release date, he died from tuberculosis. Wow. So his brother was helping him? Yes, his brother was a part of it too. I think he was, he had killed one or two Wendigos himself, and I think he helped Jack. Wendigos, okay. Yes, yeah, exactly. Probably one of the most famous Wendigo stories happened right here in Alberta. Just a mere two-hour drive from where I am right now, and Michelle, you're pretty much right where the action took place. Yeah, I used to work there. What? I used to work in Fort Saskatchewan. I didn't know that. Yeah, I did my <laughs> practicum there. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever actually go to the fort, like where they did execution? No. Business? No. I did when I was really young. It's pretty cool. No. Yeah. I should go there again. I'd be much more interested in it now than I was. Yeah, back we'd then. have a couple of like 
things to see for sure. Absolutely. We should do that. Field trip. Yeah. Field trip. Alberta field trips are easier than Germany field trips like we talked about last time. So, so much more. That's an achievable goal that we can. <laughs> so this is the case of Swift Runner, a native Cree who lived in Fort Saskatchewan with his family in the 1800s. He would later go on to be known as the poster child for Wendigo psychosis, claims the fame of committing one of Alberta's worst and strangest crimes, and was the first legal hanging in our province. Also just want to point out Fort Saskatchewan is actually in Alberta, not Saskatchewan, and it's located just northeast of Edmonton. Yeah, you can take the bus there. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I, I did. <laughs> oh, I used to ride the Edmonton bus system. Yeah, I used to have to get up at like 5.30 to get on like a six o'clock bus to yep. get to Fort Saskatchewan for eight. Yep. My bus ride was an hour long to get to Nate, and it had to go through downtown. And my first experience ever riding a city bus, a woman, very clearly on drugs, laid on top of me. And no, it was terrifying. And I, I'm just a rural kid that I'm like, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to sit here. And somebody else was like, hey, lady, get off of her. And she freaked out. And I was like, okay, no, it's fine. It's fine. Just don't freak this out. You fine. can here. Just don't kill me. And so, yeah, she just laid on top of me for a while. Oh, man. Bus people, like, train I, people. I'm like, I can't. I can't do this. Can't do this every day. But I made you it see. All of the weird and wonderful people oh, on yes. Edmonton Transit System. I'm so happy I don't have to do that anymore. Thank <laughs> you. So before Swift Runner committed his hideous crimes, he was pretty well respected. He had a useful Cree education. He was married and had seven children. He often traded with the Hudson's Bay Company and even served as a guide for the Northwest Mounted Police. He was a very large man and could be seen as physically intimidating but he generally had a mild and trustworthy personality. He was a very skilled hunter and trapper. However, the winter of 1878 to 1879 was incredibly difficult for everyone. The Cree people were faced with extreme hunger, cold, and isolation, which is exactly what the Wendigo needed to thrive. Swift Runner became susceptible to the spirit. Wanting to drown the voice of the Wendigo in his mind, he began to drink heavily. He started stealing in order to support his whiskey habit and would go on benders, one being three months long. Ooh, ouch. Ow, like so much ow. Three days oh. long is, oh, uh, way too much. It's too much. <laughs> yeah. In this state, he could no longer care for his family and they began to starve. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of crappy. That's sad. They moved further north in hopes to find a better area for hunting. In February 1879, the family, which included Swift Runner, his wife, their seven children, mother-in-law, and brother, all made the move. But unfortunately, it did not work out for the better. They even had to shoot and eat their dogs to survive. Mm. I'm just going to keep making sad sounds while yeah. you read this. That's okay. <laughs> the eldest son eventually died of starvation, and this may have been the ultimate trigger for Swift Runner's spiral out of control and into Wendigo psychosis. I'm sure you know where this is going, but I want to give a quick warning that this story will get real gruesome real fast. And yes, unfortunately, it involves tiny humans. Sorry, Michelle. Good times. Good times. So one day, the family left to go hunting, 
leaving behind Swift Runner and one of his children at the camp. Left unsupervised, the man could no longer contain his cannibal urges. He shot his son, but that didn't kill him. So he stabbed him as well. However, the boy was still holding on, so his father beat him with a chunk of wood. When the ordeal was finally over, Swift Runner cut up the body and prepared it over the fire. Ugh. There's going to be so many Uggs. Mm-hmm. Although the deranged man was finally at peace while he ate, once he was done, he decided he needed to track down the rest of his family. He found their camp quite easily, and when he entered, his wife could tell something was wrong. She lied to him about the family's whereabouts and told him that her mother and his brother had died of starvation and all that were left were her and the kids. Swift Runner didn't believe her, but he didn't say anything. During the night, when everyone was sleeping, the Wendigo cravings returned, so he shot his wife in the neck. He then proceeded to kill two of his daughters with an axe. So if you're counting, that leaves just his youngest son and infant daughter now in his care. Ugh. He went on to prepare the dead bodies into a meal like he had done previously, and even made his son help with some of the tasks. No. Yeah. Then they shared the meal together. His desires did not subside, and he couldn't stop himself. Focusing next on his infant daughter, he took the baby and hung her, while remaining completely emotionless. Well, I think I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to head out. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> okay, it's just a little bit more of really bad, and then it's um, still bad, but not as bad after that. Okay? <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> Very convincing, I know. Now they must hunt down the rest of the family, the Wendigo told him. Him and his son stalked their prey, and upon finding the two remaining members, he killed both of them in their sleep. Slashing his mother-in-law's throat and bashing her head, then choosing to use a gun on his brother. He butchered the bodies and hung up the meat to cure. After a few days, it was time for the youngest son to become his final victim. He again used an axe for this job. Also, I want to point out that there was evidence that Swift Runner did have access to other food when he ultimately turned Wendigo. So the argument of famine cannibalism does not hold water. So do you think then his son was also affected by the Wendigo because his son was helping him? I think he just or was he had just to. Terrified? I think he was just terrified. I don't think he had any choice. He was the youngest son, I believe, and he just probably had to go on, just go with it. And what are you going to do? You're in the middle of winter up north. Like, you you can't go on by yourself. There's no No. other alternative. Poor baby. Mm -hmm. So after surviving for a while on his own, Swift Runner eventually decided to return to a Cree settlement by St. Albert, Alberta. Upon arriving in March, he was questioned on the whereabouts of his family. His response was that they all tragically died of starvation during the harsh winter. This, however, was a bit suspicious considering he appeared to be well-fed. Well, yeah, he ate seven humans. Exactly. The community continued to keep an eye on Swift Runner and noticed very strange behavior. He also had frequent nightmares, and he would scream all night. So he was doing a really great job of drawing attention to himself. (laughs) Yeah. 
These concerns were brought first to the priest and then to the Northwest Mounted Police. They decided to investigate the camp where Swift Runner had been staying for the winter in order to look for the family that had apparently died of starvation. Swift Runner reluctantly followed along. However, once he was offered booze, he happily guided the officers. He also began to tell them what had happened while he led them directly to the camp. Upon finding the scene littered with body parts, Swift Runner backpedaled and tried to tell them it was actually a bear that had done the damage. But they were pretty sure a bear wasn't the one that used a pot to cook the human meat, so it was quite clear who the guilty party was. Although those <laughs> bears are tricky. Oh, they're, they get pretty smart. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, Swift Runner did admit to the NWMP that he killed and ate his family. But it's okay. He only killed and ate his own family and not somebody else's. Because, you know, that makes his disgusting crimes somehow acceptable. And I guess he really didn't know when to shut up because he also made the grisly statement that his mother-in-law was quite tough. Oh, no. Like, just, just stop. <laughs> just stop talking. No more. On August 6, 1879, he was found guilty of cannibalism and murder. He was sentenced to death, making Swift Runner the first person to be executed in the province. Before his hanging in December 1879, he offered to kill himself with a tomahawk to save the hangman further trouble. Not surprisingly, they went ahead with the hanging instead. Good call. Yikes. One more thing I wanted to mention. We are recording this on National Indigenous Peoples Day, June 21st, which was not intentional, but I guess it works out well. While doing research for this episode, it was very apparent how much community and traditions mean to First Nations people. The legend of the Wendigo reveals a lot about their beliefs, values, and social structures, and I found it so fascinating. It serves as a reminder for how important community is and what happens to those left outside of the community. Living in extreme conditions is difficult and requires a group effort. Everyone must share their food and possessions, no matter if you have a lot or a little. The Wendigo has also been used as a metaphor for the injustices that the Indigenous people have faced in Canada as it represents greed and colonization. I thought that was really interesting and suiting, and I'm sorry to highlight one of the bad examples in the community, yeah. but what the Wendigo means, I just think it's very interesting. Yeah, like the, the <laughs> yes. symbolism and the sentiments behind him. It's really interesting and it's really fitting. And it says a lot about isolation and how, like you said, like community is what holds everybody together. So exactly. Mm -hmm. That is the story of Swift Runner and the nightmare fuel that are Wendigos. My sources for this episode included the Canadian Encyclopedia, Wikipedia, Biography.ca, ExecutedToday.com, and of course, Dark Poutine. So, Michelle, what did you think of my choice for our first Alberta-based mini? <laughs> I loved it. It was creepy, and I'm sleeping in my parents' basement tonight, so I have a little bit of nightmare fuel, so that's nice. Great. <laughs> <laughs> it's much different than yeah, what I we had it. talked about, because I was going to do a ghost, and this is not really a ghost. <laughs> no, I really want to know more. Like, this was in, like, the 1800s, was it? yes. The 18, yeah. 1879 is when the murders happened. Yeah. Yeah. So like, are Wendigos still present today? I think so. Yeah. I'm sure that they use it 
today to teach their kids about the injustices that have happened to their people in Canada in the past. So I'm sure it's still relevant and they still, it is still lore. They still talked about, but they're not living in quite the same conditions like they used to, but still. (laughs) So in the case of Swift Runner, do you think he was truly possessed by a Wendigo? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe. He was also very clearly an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. So maybe he was going through the DTs and he was unaware of what was happening. Who, honest to God, who knows? But I don't know that the DTs would make you eat your family. So yeah, that's true. One thought that I had was um, another case that people sometimes link to Wendigos is Vincent Lee, which is the man that murdered and decapitated and ate part of a human on a bus. And I believe oh that, yes, I believe that was in on the, the Greyhound, on the Greyhound bus. bus in Manitoba. I believe, yeah, I believe that case is sometimes linked to it as well. Uh, if he was possessed by a Wendigo or what most of the time people say is he was actually schizophrenic and he had a, you know, psychotic episode. So my thought is that maybe this was a schizophrenic or psychotic episode, but it just wasn't recognized. It was back in the 1800s and that probably wasn't a a really relevant thing. So yeah. Yeah. And I I don't know. Both are are scary. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, regardless of how you look at it, it's, it doesn't change anything what happened. No. It's just really interesting to think about. And I also think like if it was a, a schizophrenic thing, I think he probably did believe that he was possessed by a Wendigo, like 100%. He believed that in his head. But yeah. was he actually That's possessed he- or was it a psychotic break and his brain was just telling him he was yeah. possessed, right? And so was he telling like the police he, and people that he was possessed by a Wendigo when it happened? Yeah, even before the murders happened, he talked about being possessed by a Wendigo and, and talking about Wendigos a lot. Oh, that's, that's scary. I don't like how that <laughs> makes me feel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I thought it was fascinating. Wow. Yeah. Are you ready for some fluffing stuff? Yes. My question today is what is your favorite folklore or mythological creature? Ooh, favorite mythological creature? I don't know, folklore, it's a, it's a new interest to me, thanks to you, is Pukwudgie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and those are friggin' terrifying, and I don't even want to talk about them. So if you want to learn about Pukwudgies, you look them up. Yeah, Morbid, <laughs> the podcast, covers Pukwudgies. That's how I discovered them. And they, they're so scary. <laughs> they're like mm, tiny, okay. tiny like troll things in there in the woods, and they try to lure people in. And sometimes they, they just like, there? they like throw people off of cliffs or like <laughs> try yeah, to steal and, like, them. They try to steal people. Like it's so terrifying. <laughs> Terrifying. It's not okay. Um, but mythological creature, I would probably say, which that's a really fine question because um, Bestie's house is covered in like pictures of dragons and stuff. Like I'm expecting a really good answer here from you, Bestie. But probably I would say the Hydra, you know, the multiple headed monster that ah. if you cut its head off, more heads appear. That's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I like yeah. that one. Nice. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That wasn't mm-hmm. even on my radar, so that's fun. Yeah. 
My favorite, I think, would be the Ogopogo. That's oh, just, gotta love the Ogopogo. Yeah, I just, I love that area so much, Penticton, all that stuff, and just the thought of there being a giant creature in there. Loch Ness monster. Like, how cool is that? So. I know. Also, Dark Platoon does an episode on that as well. So that's my favorite. I was going to say my least favorite, but what I find very interesting is the fucking Pugwudgies. Because <laughs> they're, right? they're just something else. They're creepy. All these like, yeah, little mythical creatures that live in forests. That's what freaks me out because I live in a yeah. forest. <laughs> Have you listened to Morbid's episodes on fairies? No, I don't think so. Oh my God. Their stories on fairies are fascinating and terrifying because you think of fairies as like cute, cute little like pixies and stuff. Yeah. No, they fuck shit up. Oh. It's like like they are destructive and like they get into your house and like they destroy things and yeah, you should totally listen to it. Oh, I will. Yeah. That sounds really fun. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, I think they actually did two parts on fairies because there's like so much interesting i love it yeah excellent well make sure to answer our question come on guys answer our question like for real (laughs) just do it right now um and let us know what you think about the episode and let us know was swift runner possessed by a wendigo or was it a psychotic break Mm -hmm. you can email us at murder and merlot at gmail.com find us on instagram at murder merlot podcast Facebook at Murder Merlot Podcast and Twitter at Murder Merlot One. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere else you find podcasts. We would love if you subscribed, and if you don't, you're dead to me. Uh, remember that our next big book episode will be on Waco. We are currently reading Stalling for Time, My Life as an FBI Hostage Negotiator by Gary Nosner, and we are listening to Waco, a survivor story by David Thibodeau. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember to drink wine because it's not good to keep things bottled up. Bye. Bye.